Hi, this is Mallory, and welcome to Diagnosis Explained, a podcast about physical and mental health disorders, how they're treated, and examples of people who have them. This podcast is for people who have been diagnosed with a mental or physical health disorder, know someone with a diagnosis, are interested in medicine, want to learn how to explain diagnoses to their patients, or just love hearing me talk. I'm a physician assistant and a patient. I've been diagnosed with bipolar, anxiety, and depression, and I want you to know that you're not alone. Today we're going to be talking with Eugene Marshall, a licensed clinical social worker and my therapist. I really want to thank him for coming in and I want to thank everyone for emailing in and interacting on my Facebook group. And make sure you share this podcast with your friends if you found yourself enjoying it at all or maybe even learned something from it. If you have a certain diagnosis that you'd like me to discuss, medication you're taking and just don't understand, or a guest that you'd like to hear from, Please send it in at diagnosisexplainedpodcast at gmail.com. You can also go to my Facebook group. Just search Diagnosis Explained. Also, follow the links in the description box to rate and subscribe on iTunes and donate on Patreon so that I can keep this podcast going. Just a quick note. During our discussion, we talk about psychology tools. What we really mean is psychology today. Just wanted to make sure nobody got confused. Psychology today. Okay, so today we're going to be talking with Eugene Marshall, my therapist. He's been so great to come in and talk with us. First, let's talk about you. Where are you from? So I'm from New Zealand. Um, originally, I grew up there for, uh, gosh, the first 21 years of my life. Then I came over here to the States in 1995. I was at a junior college playing football. Then I moved down to Provo, Utah. And I started working at a residential treatment facility for kids who had emotional disorders, behavioral issues, depression, anxiety, self-harm, a lot of trauma. And so I worked directly with the kids. I was studying criminal justice at the time. I had two more classes to go. And while I was working with the kids, I was like, I think I want to change my major and go into mental health and be a therapist. And so I uh, went home, told my wife, I'm going to switch to psychology and Voila, the rest is history. Uh, so I finished psychology. I kept working at Heritage. That's a place I work at with the kids. And then I went into graduate school. Wow. So what made you want to switch? So I loved working directly with the kids. And then every week you work closely with a therapist, a psychiatrist, and a whole team of staff and recreational therapists, an academic person who watches the kid through treatment for schooling, and I just fell in love with it. I think seeing how a therapist worked with the kids and developing treatment plans, helping them with their families, getting together in group therapy sessions, that really resonated with me. Yeah, it's like, man, this is awesome. And uh, the therapist that ran the groups was like a big time mentor. So I wanted to be just like him. <laughs> awesome. And so you also do like individual therapy too, right? So currently I work as a clinical director full-time at a residential treatment center called Heritage, but I'm the clinical director for kids who have anxiety, depression, attachment issues, trauma, and substance abuse. So I help manage a team of therapists and the staff that overlook uh, and oversee these kids' treatment. And then I do private practice, which I've been doing for eight years, going on eight years, and I think I'll do that till they tell me I can't do it anymore, <laughs> just because I love it. It's actually very therapeutic for me. It's a different setting because private practice, you have individuals that come in and they're like, I need help. What can I do? Mm -hmm. Whereas in a treatment setting, 
sometimes you get a lot of people that are like, "I'm only here because my parents <laughs> told me that I need to be here," and so they might be a bit more resistant at the beginning of treatment.、Mm-hmm. I'd say it's more therapeutic for me. Doing private practice helps me in my、uh, clinical director role. So, tell me a little bit more about your schooling and credentials. When I switched from criminal justice, I switched over to psychology. That was my undergraduate degree. And then I applied for graduate school at the University of Utah, where I did a master's in social work. Funny story, though, is when I was looking to go to graduate school,、mm-hmm. I had filled out all paperwork for clinical psychology. Yeah.、Uh, to be a clinical psychologist, and so that mentor therapist I was talking to you about, I went and asked him for a reference, and so he said, "Oh, so you want to do a、mm-hmm. lot more assessments, testing, and things like that." It's like no, I want to do therapy like you. And he goes, "Well, I'm an LCSW licensed clinical、oh. social worker." And he broke it down for me that what I wanted to do in terms of therapy, working with others, a good route for me would be a licensed clinical social worker. And so other people, you can do licensed clinical social work, you can do marriage and family therapy, you can be a mental health counselor. But at the time, yeah, I did masters in social work. And I had this because I had a cousin who also did social work a few years before,、mm-hmm. and I knew nothing about it. And I was like, "Oh, he wants to work with homeless people and develop boys and girls programs at the boys and girls club." I had no idea that it was such a clinical role. And so, the license、uh, LCSW, you have a very broad range of what you can practice. So that's how I ended up there, and that was two years of graduate school. And then I worked at Wasatch Mental Health, adult outpatient, for four years, which was fantastic. Really, when you work for the state, you see a wide range of mental illness, from very mild to severe with psychotic symptoms. So, I would say actually just working there for four years was probably my biggest education. There,、yeah, it was fantastic. It was great, and I think it prepared me to move on when I moved over to work with adolescents and do my private practice. But yeah, two years graduate school, and one thing I'd say to anybody if they're considering graduate school, I found it much more easier than undergrad <laughs> because all of your classes are what you specifically want to do. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I hated doing math and English and all of those kinds of things. So when I got to graduate school, my GPA actually went up. Ooh, very <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, it was it was good. Yeah, I feel like the education I got was fantastic. Do you feel like you're doing what you want to do? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the quality of life for me. Is I really do. I love what I do. At times, it has its stress, but that's part of the job. But I, but no, quality of life. I actually love what I do. Have never thought of. I wonder if I should have done this or that with my life. So you meet a lot of cool people. A lot of really cool people. And one thing I'd say in terms of stigma that people may have about mental illness. People that I've worked with, just regular Joes, you know, people who just want to do good in life, and they have different set of circumstances that they've got to work through. But it's awesome, you know. So, what do you specialize in? So, I really like working with people who may struggle with anxiety, depression, where their moods or their emotions fluctuate based on situations they're going through in life. Some are based on biology, what's going on with them then. Uh, so I like working with individuals with those kinds of issues. People I've worked a lot with people who have gone through trauma, issues with self harm, 
personality disorders. I've, I've done a lot. I think my first four years got a really good close-up education from personality disorders, trauma, actually just mental illness across the pendulum from mild to very severe. But I do specialize more in working with people where their emotions get the better of them and it influences how they think, which influences how they behave. That sounds very biopsychosocial of you. Yeah, I think if you look at across, you know, if you do your own mental health, if I do my own mental health, I really have to assess how it, how is my biology, like the sleeping, eating, being active. I like to drink Mountain Dew, so sometimes <laughs> it's not a good choice for me to drink Mountain Dew or eat right before I go to bed because all those things affect your biology. And then psychologically as well, how am I doing with my moods, my stress, what do I do to manage my stress? What do I do that may, in fact, increase my stress as well? Sometimes we do self-defeating behaviors. And then socially is not just social, our relationships with others, but how we do live our life within our environment. When we have free time, do we spend time with family or friends? Or do we isolate because we're anxious or lonely or whatever it is? How are we doing at work? Are we working? Things like that. Are there relationships that I've got to tend to that might stress me out? Are there relationships that I need to repair? So generally, I when I work with individuals, those are three areas that I'd really like to focus on because if one is out of sync, it's going to impact other areas, whether it be psychologically, socially, environmentally. That's what I like to work with, you know, when we're anxious and have emotional problems, sometimes we go to coping skills that might be self-defeating. Some people mm-hmm. self-harm, uh, develop addictions and things like that. So I think when I meet with an individual, there's a huge education component to it. You teach mm-hmm. them about the symptoms, what it may look like, and then a lot of the meat and potatoes of therapy is why and how can I work through these things? But I, I, like I said, I really enjoy it. Cool. So how much does it cost to see you? $100 for individual and then $125 for couples. So why does it cost that much? So actually, I'm on the lower range. For therapy, that can range anywhere from, from $100 up to $250 depending on the therapist. And so I kind of stayed where the market is, but I also feel comfortable at that price. But some people, you know, that have the higher prices, that's that's no sweat, that's just me. I think, you know, a lot of people need uh, mental health services now. And so part of the reason why prices are as such is because of the demand. That's the unfortunate thing about who can access it. There are those that have uh, lower, that may have a lower income, might have to go through the state and Medicaid and things like that. Um, And then in private practice, like myself, like I said, you're generally looking around anywhere from 100 and up per session. How often do you see your clients? When we start, depending on severity, but I like to go three or four weeks straight and kind of see where we're at after Mm -hmm. then. Is it a good time to maybe push to every other week or every three weeks. And a lot of it will depend on how's functioning, you know, over those first three or four appointments. Are you doing better? Are you able to use some of the skills or look at things differently that you may have talked in those initial sessions? It always helps to 
gauge where somebody is at in treatment by actually saying, you know, we've been meeting for a week, these last three or four weeks, let's shoot for 10 days or two weeks and see how things are. Mm -hmm. And then you can also see if there's an increased level of distress for the individual. And some of them may even say, actually, two weeks was great. Come in and then they say, let's go for another two weeks or another three weeks. So it really depends on the individual and the communication between the therapist and the, and the client. A big part of it as well is how comfortable is the client telling the therapist how they're doing. So those first meetings, it's very important that you're establishing a relationship. And if I'm a client coming in to meet with a brand new therapist, I don't want the genius. I do, I want a genius, but I also want somebody that I can actually talk to. And so if you can relate with your therapist or you feel like they can relate with you, then you're golden. But that's one thing I, I want my clients to tell me is, hey, Gene, you ramble, you regurgitate things that I already know, or I don't feel like we're being as effective or efficient. That's helpful for me as a therapist to know those things. So that's why I'd, I'd normally like to do weekly for the first three to four sessions. And each session is how long? 50 minutes. And do you feel like that's long enough, too long? I feel like it's right on the money. It's really good because you get to kind of review where they're at, talk about some concepts or things they may be struggling with, and then the last five or ten minutes you kind of get to wrap up and say, hey, this is what I want you to really focus on in Mm -hmm. between sessions. Sometimes they do have to go longer given the content or what's going on and if somebody's not feeling safe or is extremely anxious, maybe having some panic symptoms, then we may have to extend it just to make sure they can leave the office feeling a bit more calm. What if I want you to be my therapist? You can go to Psychology Tools. So Psychology Tools is a website that if you're looking for a therapist in your area, you just punch in your zip code and it'll Mm -hmm. pull up a whole string of therapists and providers who are in your area. And I'm on there, I'm on that. Are you accepting new patients? Yes, I am. But I also have to be careful with that because sometimes I might not be able to get them in for their first appointment within like two or three weeks. Uh, So I do accept them and then I work around my schedules of my current clients because I got to keep them have a fluid continuity of care and I accept clients in and then I'll work with their schedule to keep them have that continuity as well. And you're still in the Provo, Utah area? Yeah, down, uh, if everyone knows where BYU is, I'm about two miles north on University. Perfect location, I'm right in the middle. Awesome. And do you take insurance? I do not. And one of the biggest reasons why is because different insurance companies decide differently about uh, if somebody's diagnosed with a certain disorder, they might say, okay, we will pay 50% of six appointments when they will need 12 appointments or more. It might be longer term. And so it varies from insurance to insurance. And because I'm such a small practice, I don't do that because you could be chasing insurance Mm -hmm. for a very long time. To keep the business going, that's why I don't do insurance because I don't have the bandwidth to to do that. I'm just a small practice. Most people, they have HSA cards, which work well. But insurance, if it was easier, if the insurance companies made it easier, then I'd do it. 
And I know there are a lot of private practitioners as well that won't do insurance. But you see 50-50, some do, and they've got the bandwidth to really put the time in to go after the insurance companies. But like I said, it varies and they will decide what percentage they'll pay based on diagnoses. And I learned when I first started private practice when I was doing insurance, Mm -hmm. the reason why I got away from it is I had some pretty intense cases and diagnoses, such as borderline personality disorder. I had individuals who were uh, self-harming on a frequent basis, and this particular insurance company decided it wasn't a diagnosis that required longer-term outpatient therapy, which it did. You know, they needed to be in weekly for quite some time, and they also felt like, we'll pay 30% of those appointments. So I learned that lesson first year in practice, and so... I just got away from it. Do you have any idea how your patients afford to see you? Uh, Family will help out. Work, some will save up. Gosh, you know, bless their hearts. There's a lot of people that they will because it's so important to them. It's been helpful. They're they're pretty disciplined and they'll set their money aside. That for me is extra motivation that I better be on my game. Any person going to meet with a private practitioner If you feel like every session is hunky-dory, then it's probably not as beneficial. And so I try to be efficient to really address what's going on, what do you need to do. And this isn't me just tooting my horn. I think most therapists would agree. If every session's hunky-dory, then some things have been unaddressed. So if you want to gauge how am I getting my money's worth, is sometimes you'll leave therapy feeling really good, and then other times you'll feel like, man, I just had an emotional workout like crazy and I'm exhausted. You mentioned that having a good uh, relationship with your therapist is important. Why is it so important? Just trust. You know, the therapist is going to ask you to do some things that you might think sounds either, I don't think that will help, or it sounds like a loony idea. They also may ask you some very personal things that are very personal that you might not have shared with anybody. Uh, or with very few people, and then they're also going to challenge you or ask you why do you behave or respond that way to people or when you're feeling stressed, why do you do that? And so if you don't have a relationship of trust where you know the therapist has your best interests at heart, if you're not feeling that, then it really makes it hard for you to connect, for you to even do the work. The relationship's the most important thing because regardless of education or or professionalism, if you don't trust that person, then you're not going to do the work. You're just, it it will be hard to be motivated to share and trust. And again, therapy is a very vulnerable place. You think about it like uh, if you go to the gym and you get a personal trainer, if you're not leaving the gym kind of in pain a little bit or exhausted and you didn't break a sweat, then you might want to get another personal trainer. And therapy (laughs) trust plays the biggest role, I believe, Mm -hmm. because, like I said, you're going to ask them to do things and divulge things and process things that are big and scary. I really like the gym metaphor. I I think that's really good because even when you go to the gym, you're kind of nervous that they're going to think you're weak and that you can't do things, and then they're there to just push you a little bit further than you would yourself, and I really like that. When they have to watch, too, that they don't push you so that you're pulling or straining a muscle, 
Uh, and a therapist who has a good relationship with their client needs to be able to assess that as well. So Mallory, how are you doing? Is that too quick that I'm asking that question? That looks like I, I poked something. You know, you've got a the therapist has to also feel comfortable in asking those questions and being attuned with with the individual they're working with. How do I know if I'm seeing the right therapist? You said that it's super important, but how do I know? I would, you know, given your, if, if you have awareness about what your struggles are, most therapists will have a website and you want to go down and look at what disorders they've got experience working on, what issues they have. It's good to call in, ask, uh, why would I come see you? I'm struggling with anxiety, my child is. What kind of therapy do you do and why do you do that? Why do you take this approach? See if they specialize in that or they've got experience. It's, like I said, more than okay to say, how would you address this issue? But also, how does that therapist make you feel just in the original consult and stuff? And so you could meet some therapist once and be like, man, this is my guy. This is my girl, you know, kind of therapist. And then you might leave that therapist office saying, "Ah, there's a chemistry issue. So some of it is what's their experience in the area, the problem, the area that you're struggling with and personality. Do I feel they they can connect with me, speak with me at my level? So we have a term in the psychology field called psychobabble. So you can throw out all of the vocabulary and stuff like that. Sometimes that can overwhelm a client. So I think if you feel like you can't connect because there's just all these big words, either you tell that therapist that (laughs) or you go see somebody who uh, can break it down for you at your level. Makes makes, uh, addressing your issues a lot more easier. So how do I know when I need help? I think, you know, when we talked about biopsychosocial earlier, I think when you're at a place where whatever you're struggling with, whether it be anxiety or depression or trauma, that it impacts your physical life. It's impacting how you are socially. Can you go to work? Are you isolating? Can you access friends' relationships? If I need help, I don't know how to handle the stress. If you don't feel like you've got tools to alleviate whatever you're going through, I think that's a good time to consider going to therapy. Just when you feel very overwhelmed and there's very limited, you feel limited in what you can do to overcome those difficult times. Uh, Medications is kind of the same thing, is how's that individual doing with their emotions, their moods, how's that impacting them? Are they working hard? Like, are they being active, getting to sleep? getting to work, but their moods or levels of anxiety are still very elevated. And if they are, then going to meet with the physician can be really helpful. Medications is, in my experience, helped numerous, more people than not, to be able to stabilize. And the combination of therapy and psychopharmacology, that combination actually makes therapy even that much more successful. So sometimes medications help uh, relieve anxiety. You know, things like with anxiety, it's a very physical mental illness as well. Uh, and so sometimes it can help with the physical symptoms, cognitive symptoms, you know, the way we think and feel when we're anxious or depressed. And so medications has been beneficial for a lot of people. And do you prescribe medications? I do not. As a licensed clinical social worker, no, that's therapy is the primary. But I've worked with a lot of physicians you know, and so I'll make referrals, uh, recommendations, and then 
uh, those individuals can go in and meet with those people and say, hey, I meet with Jean. Here's what we're working on. Here's the symptoms that I've been experiencing. And even with the therapy, I'm still elevated or my moods are not elevated. They're still at this level. Here's why Jean thinks it'll be a good idea. And normally the physicians can pick up on, okay, I think this might be a good choice for you. So what should I be able to handle on my own? I feel like I just have normal daily stress or a trauma that was a long time ago. Do I really need to go to therapy? With daily stress, if you feel like I'm mismanaging my normal daily stress, and like you said, I should be able to go to work or do all of those kinds of things. If, if you're having a hard time finding the answers of, I'm not able to do that, going to a therapist, and I want to make sure this is clear, going to a therapist is sometimes just like going to a coach. It really, a therapist may just help you organize things mentally and emotionally for you to help you do those things. Nice. So some therapies are very short-term based, could be three appointments, could be six, and some are long-term, depending on where their issues are. But normal daily stress, if it's hard to get through the day on a consistent basis, we all have bad days or bad weeks. But if it's consistent, you know, a therapist may be able to help coach you through that, give you some ideas on how to reorganize your life yeah. and things like that. And if the daily stress alleviates, then fantastic. Say, thanks, therapist. I'll buzz you if I need another appointment or something like that. Also, with daily stress, you want to assess, what am I doing for myself? If I have a lot of responsibilities or there's a responsibility or a job that really weighs me down, a therapist will help you say, why are you actually even doing anything for yourself on a daily basis? Because struggling with daily stress on a consistent basis pretty much will indicate then you're not having a recovery, emotional recovery time mm -hmm. during the day. Trauma that was a, a long time ago, I should just be over that, or why is that coming up? You know, that's just trauma in general. Some people are affected by traumatic events right away. And then other people, uh, that trauma might not awaken or surface until there's been a trigger some point after the traumatic event. And for some people, a lot further on in life. Uh, and I'll give you an example. My grandfather, he was in World War II and he was in the Royal Air Force. So being from New Zealand, we didn't have an Air Force. So he joined the Royal Air Force and he was on the bombers that flew into Germany and he was a navigator on those things. And, you know, growing up, he'd show us all of the photos, cool things like that with all of his mates and stuff like that. And the last few years of his life, part of those things started to come back and haunt him. Yeah, you know, he's my grandfather, went to war, had a lot of combat experience, very traumatic things, but life was good. But he got older and the last few years of his life, those things really started to come up for some reason. You know, when we get older, we also reflect a lot more on life. I know that was tough for him. Other people, you know, when we go through traumatic events, our brain has a protective system called the limbic system, where we fight or flight, meaning uh, we take on the trauma or, or we take on the threat or we try and address it or we flight or freeze. But flight means we kind of avoid it. And one of the most common symptoms in trauma is that we may naturally try to do everything to avoid discussing or being associated with the trauma that took place. 
So that's why for some people those symptoms come up straight after, it's very acute. Then for some others it might be months later, even years later. So my problems are just stupid. I didn't have a trauma or anything crazy going on in my life, really. Are are you going to judge me? Am I just weak? No. Everyone goes through traumatic or adverse experiences in their life, meaning very difficult situations where your belief systems really got challenged. Did I go through war or an earthquake or something like that? Why, Why am I so anxious? I didn't experience those kinds of things. No, it doesn't mean your problems are stupid. You know, and I think that's what prevents people from coming into therapy as well, is the self-belief about the problems they're struggling with. Nobody will understand. It sounds silly. They won't get it. You know, my therapist won't understand it. Nobody will. My family won't understand why I struggle with these issues, so I'm not going to share it with anybody. But there are no stupid problems. You know, there are a lot of people who struggle with many different things, for many different reasons. And our struggles have a birthplace somewhere. Where did that start and why? Was it biology? Was it experience, something that I went through? Is it something, the way I view things from certain experiences? I hope people, when they feel like my problems are stupid, that they will have somebody to talk to. And I'd say if they're afraid to talk to somebody in therapy, if there's a trusted, even if it's just one friend, or a parent or family member just say, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Does that sound stupid to you? Am I off base? Should I be coping with it in a different way? Again, it has to be a trusted person who will be objective for you. Because sometimes people can tell you, your family, and say, actually, yeah, that is kind of silly. Why? You know, and you might have a good discussion and that family member may be able to just help you through it. But don't keep those is my problem stupid to yourself? If it's not with a therapist, at least check with somebody that you may trust. So when I come in to talk to you, do I have to talk about my childhood? And do you need to know my whole life story? No. Getting a a history from somebody helps just to, it gives a timeline. You may see where symptoms were in their infant stage, you know, and how it progressed. And so... Getting a timeline, most therapists will do that. That's really helpful, but you don't have to divulge everything. But if it is something that does not sit well with you from your childhood, you should. Uh, and that's that's the kind of gut check you have to do as a person. Is there anything in my upbringing or my childhood that I've never really resolved? It sat with me and it, gosh, I need to do something about it. Think of it like a virus if we're sick. You know, the body takes care of it through fever, nausea, or diarrhea. If it's viral, the body has to take care of it. You know, that's why, should I talk about my childhood? You don't have to go through everything, but you have to be honest with yourself. Is there something from there that really has created this problem that kind of needs to pass through my psychological system, emotional system? But life story, no, but important parts of it. And I will say it's just about trauma. Some people are afraid to go in and talk to therapists about trauma that they went through. Good trauma therapist doesn't need to know every single detail. Oh, that's Uh, good to know. You should not have to feel like you're divulging every single thing about your trauma. A good trauma therapist understands that belief systems have changed. They will assess your behaviors, the symptoms that you might be going through. But sometimes talking about the whole thing or all the trauma is, I think that's a myth. 
um, that people have and a lot of research indicates you don't have to go through mm-hmm. every single thing if you're a therapist to know every detail about a person's trauma. Key is how did it affect that person and how can you help move them forward? What if I don't think talking about my problems will help or I really don't want to pay somebody just to be my friend? Yeah, no, that's a good one. Uh, you know, what I'd say if people th- say, I don't think about talking about my problems will help, then my question back to them would be, then what happens to those problems? If if you keep them to yourself, then everything you think about your problems will become your concrete truth based mm-hmm. on only what you think. Talking to somebody, and it doesn't have to be a therapist, but talking to somebody about your problems, it gives another opportunity to hear a different perspective, if that makes sense. But if you're convinced that my problems are better stuck with me, then two things are going to happen. You're going to implode internally, uh, and you're going to shut down, you're really going to struggle, or you're going to explode. It will come out somewhere if you become the storage haven for your problems, and you just internalize everything. And, and yeah, you shouldn't be paying somebody to be your friend. I'm a very relational person. And so I even have to check myself to make sure that, especially when a a client is ready to finish therapy or go to an as needed basis, I have to make sure if they're anxious about doing that, why? And, Mm -hmm. you know, if, if you're a very relational therapist, like, like I said, I feel like I have a good sense of humor. I feel like I can challenge and do all of those different things. I have to be careful. How am I being viewed? Am I being viewed as, man, Gene's like my best friend. It's like, no, I, that's cool. It's a compliment, but <laughs> I shouldn't be your best friend and a therapist shouldn't be your best friend. They should be somebody. Again, that, uh, if it feels that way, it's great, but they should also be the person that you rely on to be objective and stuff. And so with a friend, if a therapist becomes a friend and then the therapist tells you something you don't like, you take it to heart a little bit more. I can't believe Gene told me that. He's not supposed to tell me that, you know, or what a jerk today. And yeah, so you shouldn't be paying for someone to be your friend. If you feel close, that's cool. But if the lines are getting blurred, that's a really good therapy discussion to have as well. I, if I'm being honest, pretty much everybody that I see, I could have over to my house for a barbecue <laughs> and, and just talk to, you know, and really chill and 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 uh, talk to and have a good time and so i have to make sure in my therapy did did my client walk away with a strategy today did they walk away with something that could help them clinically and help them progress so it goes both ways yeah the therapist got to make sure their clients don't become their their best buddies I should be up there, though. That hurts my feelings. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I guess I have to have other friends <laughs> no, if but, you're not my best buddy. <laughs> but it really is true. It's, uh, you know, everybody I see I really, really like. And so if I don't keep that in check, then, then I have crossed a line and I'm going to have best buddies who are paying me to be best buddies for an extended time when that's not where their relationship got established. That's an ethical thing. So, Jean, I have a friend or family member who refuses to go to therapy or seek help, but could really benefit from it. What should I do? 
you can encourage them and talk to them about the benefits. You can say, hey, why don't we go to an appointment together or let me set you up with an appointment just once and see what you think. You know, kind of leave it open to them. And that's the best you can do is encourage them, talk to them about the benefits of sharing with somebody that they're not so closely related to, where it might not feel as uh, that they might be getting judged or things like that. It's somebody who's got a neutral relationship. If it's hard to encourage them and they won't go, then you should seek, you should check to see how am I doing with that? Because if a family member or friend has problems and they're not getting help, the first place it's going to impact, like biopsychosocial, it's always going to be the social, how it's going to impact their environment. And so if it's really affecting you, particularly if you live with a family member or you have a roommate, sometimes it's good to go get go yourself and for a few appointments just say, hey, here's what my roommate does or here's what my family members, how do I manage that? They're not willing to come into treatment or see a therapist or anything like that. But it is, in my experience, when people have come in to therapy because mum and dad said so or the boss said so, then motivation to actually do the treatment is is more limited. It's harder to get somebody to do the homework or process honestly to do those things. So that one's tough. And if they've got significant issues, I've met a lot of times with families or spouses or friends just so they can learn how to cope with the individual. And a lot of times that might be learning how to be assertive, learning how to set boundaries, and then sometimes letting go. Mm -hmm. I may have to step back from this relationship because it's not reciprocal or it's not safe for me emotionally and physically at times. But encouragement and sharing why you want them to go is the best thing to do. And then if you can get them set up, you know, have them see if they'll compromise. So just do one together or go in by yourself, then then you're doing good work. But if they won't, make sure you're taking care of yourself. Well, thank you so much. That was so awesome. If there was anything that you feel like I didn't talk about that you wanted to hear, make sure you email me at diagnosisexplainedpodcast at gmail.com. We're definitely going to have Jean back on here and talk about more things. Next time, we're going to be talking about trauma. So please tune in and see you guys next time.